Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. A comfortable win in the end at Bournemouth, but not without its scares at times. And on this week's Blue Moon podcast, we'll be looking at all the talking points from that game. Yes, that will unfortunately include VAR once again. We can't help it. Also this week, Sean Blinkhorn is on the show to look in detail at the progress being made by the EDS players, while Howard Hawking examines how technology is used successfully in another sport. With the game against Brighton on the horizon and the Champions League draw reaction to come, we'd better get cracking. I'm David Mooney. With me in the studio, I've got Kieran Murray. Blue. And Kieran Clark. All right. You uh, you both well? Not three bad, thanks. And yourself? That's my lie. I always I always used to say that, then I stopped saying it because I said it every week. <laughs> no, you, you always say it. You, it's a terrible you, line. I didn't it's know an awful one. Yeah, yeah. I got rid of it because I, I was embarrassed at how often I was saying it. You know what I mean? Right. I'll never say and it. Yeah. Again. The first thing you do this season is say it. So <laughs> I have nothing to say to that. We should crack on then and talk about all of um, I'm going to start with David Silva um, because the headlines will be will be going to the goal scorers in this game. But for me, it was David Silva that ran the show. I, I thought he was absolutely superb, um, as he always is. You know, I think I can't even think of any bad games he's ever had for City. I think if if David Silva's having a poor game out of 400, it's probably only a seven and a half out of ten instead of an eight and a half, nine out of ten. Um, he just um, he just seemed to do it so effortlessly. Um, as as he always does, but um, some some of his passing was just, just sublime, isn't it? How I, I don't how how he goes past players without even seeming to break out of a walk. He just seems to glide across the pitch. It's abs- he's, he's just a joy to watch, um, and I think I think Sunday was one of those games as well because it's like one of those anniversary games and stuff like that where you do pay attention to him more and you just do think Jesus Christ, we've only got one one year left of this man. Yeah, uh, mm. enjoy him as much as you possibly can. It's funny, isn't it, Kieran? Because those sorts, of, like Casey said, the the anniversary sorts of games, the spotlights on it. All of all of Guardiola's pre-match press conference was David Silva questions, and you could you think you know any normal person, I'd feel under all sorts of pressure in that. But he just does not. He, he doesn't show at all. The interesting thing about David Silva, though, is that he's never really been in the spotlight somehow. So all this majesty in which he plays with. Um, it's never really seemed to turn him into like uh, the pressure's never really shown with him. Um, as Casey was sort of alluding to there, he's such a he doesn't really break stride. He's such a um, not quite. He's such a meticulous player, and um, everything he does just is so effortless. So for it to be this kind of landmark milestone game, you'd think maybe. You know, you know, he'll have a bad one, or because the spotlight's on him, that he'll show himself up somehow. But like, he's not—he's he's not, not from type, this planet. He's not the type, he's not the type at all. Yeah. 
Hey, like, like we said, it's 400 games for him now at City, 400 appearances. What I mean, think back to 2010, KC. You, you, like, when he first arrived on the scene, did you honestly think he'd make it? Well, it was one of those things. I think we were linked with him the year before, and him and Via together, and it was like sort of seen as some like paper pipe dream that we'd sign both of them for some at daft like 100 million because they were talked about like they were going to be some something at, some, amazing some at daft like 100 million and then and then when we're signing him for like 24 million you're thinking is he as good as people were saying because i'd seen him in the odd european game but you're not obviously keeping your eye out for it but he looked absolutely brilliant and then you're listening to all the proper football men you know Egypt's on 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 radio and on telly going. Oh, he's too small for the league. He's going to get kicked out of it. Guardiola thought that. Yeah, Guardiola admitted he didn't. He didn't think he'd be up to the rough and tumble of the English league. And mm. then, yeah, what was he now? Uh, <laughs> but it was it was. I think I think it was his was his first game a home game against Chelsea, or one of his first games. I can't remember the the, the game. I remember him in inverted commas, arriving in was in Europe. It was in, against uh, Salzburg in, uh, in uh, the away game. Oh, Alan. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that that yeah. that match. He, I think he, he either scored that day or he made both of the goals. Yeah, well, the game, the game I remember, as I say, is it was Chelsea, at, Chelsea at home, and I think he played about an hour. And um, the the main reason why uh, every, everyone was just like, "Oh, is he going to be able to hack it?" I remember he gave a couple of people a few digs, and you were just like, "Yeah, he's, he's going to be all right." But you you weren't watching him for how good of a player he was. You were just watching him to see. You know, could he handle himself? And he just along it, came this performance. Yeah, that, and, yeah, and he clearly could. And then it was just like, um, he, he sort of like it, it sort of, it didn't to to me there wasn't a big standout performance. He just like gradually snuck up as the best player I've ever seen play for us. It just it, it was just <laughs> like, gradually do that. It, yeah. it was just like week after week after week after week after week, just performance after performance, just a level of consistency there's no player that's played for us that's had that consistency I don't think in that in all that time I think that was a, was that a 1-0 win that Chelsea game Tevez scored I think I think I seem to remember it's really early in the season uh, yeah posting he, in yeah no yeah. I think was it was it that year was that or was that the year after that was definitely that year because Blackpool away when he sort of when everybody sat yeah, up and, t- yeah, and yeah. like took notice of him after he scored that beautiful beautiful little goal uh, that was not long after that Um. But I'm hearing word this week that Real Madrid rejected him because they thought he was a madman for the pints. I know. <laughs> what? Of, of, all the, of all the people, the, the man who seems to be the, the quietest <laughs> they, they, they and shyest. Just, just misread pint-sized. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Oh, God. No, 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 we didn't sign him until years later. <laughs> well, just looking at uh, the game at, uh, at Bournemouth, it, it felt to me, like in terms of a performance, City were up for a fight, weren't they? City were up for a fight because Bournemouth brought the fight to them, I thought. Um I think I think Guardiola slightly misread what what Bournemouth were going to set out to do because after the game last March when they didn't have a shot on target and they sat back and sat back and sat back, I think Pep set up thinking that they were going to do the same again. So that would explain the lack of Rodri or Fernandinho. Yeah. Um, but within the first minute, Josh King had, had a shot, on, ha- target, had a shot yeah. on target, which is more than they did in the whole game at March. Um, so Bournemouth were really up for a fight. I mean, they've got such a... Such a squad of English talent there with Josh King, uh, Ryan <laughs> Fraser, Harry Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, they were up for a fight. And oh, they've signed Billing as well. They? <laughs> they have, yeah. 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 Filling it out with the English lot. I knew you were going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting predictable now, isn't it? Like, I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, no, Bournemouth, Bournemouth were buying up for it. And um, Zinchenko, 
had a bloody mouth within the first five minutes as well. So the I fight, about the, that, the, yeah. the was fight it, was, was on. It, was he swearing? <sighs> Stop him! <laughs> <laughs> what have we done? What have we done? <laughs> what have we done to deserve this? I mean, but having said that, I don't think it was unreasonable for Guardiola to to expect the same. Because, no, 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 because, because, no, definitely because, not, yeah. Because sometimes, you know, you can be a bit naive and think teams are going to set up in exactly the same way. But Bournemouth had a lot of success and it was at the back end of last season against us. And I just thought, you could see him, you would naturally think that they would try and do the same sort of game because they nearly got away with the draw yeah. last year. It was yeah. only that miss hit by Mahrez. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I'm not saying, I'm not saying necessarily that Guardiola got it wrong because what do I know? And, you know, we got the three points and a, and a comfortable sort of win in the end, um, but they were much more up for the fight. And I thought, I thought Gundogan, as much as he's dead reliable and dead like um, metronomical, he, yes, and he's the sort of like fiver and an old pair of jeans kind of player, isn't he? You know, he'll always be there and he's al- he'll always prove his worth to you. There's, no, there's not always a fiver and an old pair of jeans. I was just going to say, I'd love, I, I would, I'd, I'd love, love if everyone my old pair of jeans had a fiver. Get onto this. One time, I found a tenner. What? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I was being so frivolous. I must have been flush at the time. But I, I, I had actual full scale ten pound note. And who was that tenor Aguero? <laughs> yeah. But somebody as reliable as Gundogan there. Um I don't think he was able to really um put a stamp on the game because Bournemouth were so up for the fight in midfield. I, th- I think part of it with Gundogan though is when when games are like that, he's naturally because of the amount of injuries he's had, he's naturally gonna shy away from that. And yeah, you know, great some, point. Some, some you know when we're talking about if Silver's up for it and stuff like that, I think Gundogan, if he was in a lesser team, probably wouldn't get away with it in the Premier League, and that's and and it's natural because of the amount of absolutely horror shows he's, well, he's had. had. What three serious injuries? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and to come back the way he has is 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 fantastic. So. When you think of Gundogan on the ball, though, and you think of him with the ball at his feet, moving forward, looking up, and the vision that he has, and the beautiful range of passing that he has. He wasn't allowed to do that at all. Yeah. So in those exactly as Casey, I think he's hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, um, in a big physical battle in midfield with these these shocking injuries that he's had, perhaps perhaps this wasn't the game for him. It's, and it's a shit not, house like Rodri or Fernandinho probably in there might have been a better it's, shout. It's not it's not a good pitch either. And no, it, it, like it's it's always a bobbly pitch. Like and gen- generally at Bournemouth, I can think over the past few years of a couple of bad challenges. It, it reminds me of like Selhurst Park, you know that sort that sort of place where mm-hmm. there's always a few bobbles. There's always a couple of bad challenges. It just so happens this weekend it was us that were chucking. Well, I, I was I was going to say at, at this stage, one player who did put his stamp on the game was Carl Walker. Um, was he lucky to stay on? Do you think with the challenges he put in I early doors? I don't think the second one happens without the first. That's that's, it, yeah. that's what that's I'm, exactly yeah, the that's point. exactly what I was going to get. Yeah, um, but having said that, he's an absolute idiot for going in like that. Anyway, um, I don't, I don't think there was any intent with the second one. But when no, you ne- see that slowed neither down, neither do I. But when I, I, I honestly, it's much worse uh, the second one. At some point, I, I thought, I thought that, I thought the scoreboard was going to say VAR yeah, checking yeah, yeah, a red card. Because when I when I first watched it, I thought, oh, that's harmless enough. That's not really yellow. He's more giving that as a yellow for the previous one. You know that he let him away with, and then it was just like you watched it slow down, and I think yeah, everyone went, oof, like it was, it was, it, it wasn't a. Wasn't pretty, was you know. it? Yeah, and do you know what else? He is an idiot for those challenges, but he's an idiot because he's got Yao Cancelo on the bench, ready and willing to take his spot, and he's had a really, really good start of the season. Walker, I thought you were uh, going to say Cancelo was a really good start to the season. No, no, no. <laughs> no, Walker's had a really good start of the season, but you, you get the feeling that. So if if he had have walked on Saturday, and like, Cancelo gets three good games yeah, under his belt, yeah. So I thought it was really foolish of him. Um, 
Interestingly, though, when Harry Wilson came on, I felt that he kind of had the bettering of Zinchenko and the Bournemouth keeper was going long in the first half, aiming up towards Zinchenko. They seemed to have, t- have uh, picked him out as a target man. Um, but because Walker was on a yellow in the second half, they targeted Walker on the other side. So and it might have done so to your favour. Yeah, it, it, it sort of did, yeah. yeah. Um, Edison was a bit... Enthusiastic, let's say, for uh, for one one challenge in the first half. There's, there's no question that that it wasn't anything more than a yellow. It was it was clearly a yellow card. Um, but it's, not not if you listen to some idiots. But, yeah, <laughs> but it, it's not often he gets them wrong. He got it really wrong, didn't he? Do you know when that happened? I thought to myself, is Ederson having a dodgy start to the season a little bit? You know, um, Spur, th- Spurs goal. I thought he maybe could have done better, certainly for the first one. Um, and I was just wondering, like, he didn't really have a pre-season because of the Copa America and things. I was just ever so slightly going, has Ederson lost the run of himself yeah, let, a tad? Let, let's get Bravo back in. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I'm really happy he'd be proved wrong because, yeah. I mean, he did lose his head in that moment and he doesn't get them wrong often, but he was really, really... like. Have, having said that, like this season, I know what you mean in terms of there's, there's been a few sort of misjudgments from him well I say a few that that Spurs one it's, it's he's, the, he's, he's got away he's got away with murder mm. from that Spurs one like what what he was doing but some of the, he's pulled off some good saves like normally he's not called upon to make a lot of saves usually but he has made some good he saves he made a couple of brilliant season. saves yeah, in yeah. Bournemouth so I was happy to be proved wrong I was going just at the start of that when he kind of went out rash I just thought wow I'm really hoping that this isn't the start of a, of a spell. And actually, but, he made some good saves at West Ham as well. Yeah. So, mm. I mean, yeah. 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 It's, it's, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt for yeah. sure. Um, I suppose it's encouraging then, in that case, that, that City can scrap with the best of them. Do you know what I mean? Because they, because as, as, as good as they've been in the last couple of years, there's, it's not often they're called upon to actually get in and, and kind of dig the result out. Do you know what I mean? It, no, I, I, no, like, no, I mean in terms of a, like like when it's when it's a battle. You think of, of the games where that were tight at the end of last season. City were in full control. Yeah, no, uh, towards the back end of last season. But I think in that original eighteen game winning stretch under Guardiola, there were some right battles in that. Some where we, yeah, winners, we re- including Bournemouth, like the. I, th- I think like Southampton at home when Sterling scored the last minute winner. Yeah, that that game was a right scrap at home. I, I think I think. Um, that is probably one of the underrated parts of Guardiola sides is their mentality because I think a lot of people think you know the ticker tacker and whatever and the way that they sort of play beautiful put- football as if you get in and amongst them then you can get at them but I just don't think that that generally bears out. Having a scrap is all well and good, but really when you think about it, even the goals were semi scrappy. The last one definitely in, in yeah. and of them, you know, in and of themselves, but it was talent of beautiful footballers who kind of made it so you kind of had this scrap going on and then the intricacies and the, the that the nice skills. kind of juxtaposition yeah yeah that's what really worked and you know that that is City under Pep I think yeah well Guardiola was understood to have been in a foul mood after that Spurs game and you can't blame him really after after the way it had gone did, did it kind of show do you think in this game no <laughs> <laughs> Uh, tetchy, grouchy, gobby pep is, is a joy to watch. Although I was thinking to myself, if this continues on, you could easily see him sort of throwing the head up a little bit and just going like, fuck this, I can't be putting up with this anymore. <laughs> um, it, it's three games in and like, if he had any hair on his head, it'd be gone. <laughs> well, we're going to get to the VAR shortly, but uh, I, w- I want to give I want to give the praise to the City players before we talk about the issues. So let's, let, let's have a look at, uh, at Sergio Aguero. He's another uh, 400 club member. It's now 400 career goals for him. Um, is there anything that man can't do? Penalties. Re- reach the top shelf. 
But yeah, yeah, penalty. Get him off penalties. I, I don't feel com- I never feel confident with him on penalties. Okay, well, apart from penalties, yeah, uh, I think I, we, I don't, we I don't took your think... question very literally there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think he could play in that. <laughs> okay, well, instead of <laughs> <laughs> I thought that would be a e- really easy way to to just say talk about Aguero in a good light for some way. But... Have you have you met me before? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, how stupid am I, um, Kieran? There was there was talk of him and Guardiola not seeing eye to eye about 2016, and like you get the sense that even if it's not gone away, the two have discovered actually we we'll, we can work with each other. Yeah, apparently they were round on the touchline against Spurs. I didn't really see much of that or, or read up much about it afterwards, but. Um, Pep's really brought out a, 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 a really a great side to him. Um, you don't have to like your boss, do you? No, you definitely don't. As long as he, he seems to be still happy uh, playing for City and knocking in the goals. Um, it's interesting, actually, when we when we opened up talking about David Silva, how he can control and conduct and orchestrate a whole game and just be the, the puppet master, really. Whereas Aguero... You might not hear a peep from him for most of the game, and then he'd still turn up with a that's, brace or a hat trick. That's not true anymore, though, is it? It used to be true. Okay, yes. So what Pep's kind of brought out of him is that he will be in and amongst it, and he yeah. will be tracking back. Yeah. So I mean, they probably aren't seeing eye to eye completely personality wise, but on the pitch they're completely singing off the same hymn sheet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a goal in every game so far. How? I mean, how's he getting better? How? How is somebody who you thought had hit his ceiling? Just how can he still get better? It's it's one of those things as well because he's been playing since he's so young. Like he made his he made his debut like fifteen years ago. It shouldn't like players yeah. that do that normally plateau out by yeah. Him. They're, they're completely shot and gone. And um, I think it just obviously he spent a lot of time out injured. But then you think he scored four hundred goals. Like he can't spend that long yeah, out yeah. injured, can he? Yeah, and but at the at the same time, he is that good. And this is going to sound daft. Has has he ever reached the potential that you think he could do? Because I th- I've thought for five or six years that he's got forty in him a season, and he's never done it. And it's like, why? Why? Like that? Like that's not to put him down because he's amazing and he's brilliant for us. But I think he is that good. He's not hitting the heights that he is capable of. Speaking of of still getting better, uh, Raheem Sterling. Again and again and again. With no, there's a guy that he could hit 40 this season. Yeah. He must have scored in every game as well, has he? He, has. He's, he scored in the Community Shield. He then got a hat-trick against West Ham, one against Spurs, one against Bournemouth. Incredible. That goal against Spurs made my face tingle, that header. It was unbelievable. <laughs> that was me still behind you. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, he is getting better and better, isn't he? Um, and I... I Again, I sort of am open to be contradicted here, but it's it's funny because you don't always look at Sterling the way you would look at David Silva and go, he's having a brilliant game, he's affecting everything here. But at the moment, all he needs is one chance and it's in the back of the net. Um, he's just continuing to st- to stagger us for a boy who can't finish, I know. to be finishing every I, game. I, I, I don't think there's someone with better movement mm. in, in European football, maybe. He's just... His, his intelligence of when to be in the middle, when to be on one wing, when to be on the other, when to run on the wrong side of the defender, when to run on the outside of the defender, just decoy... His, his, his movement is absolutely unrivaled. He's just an unbelievable player. Yeah. And I, 
the, the sky's the limit for him. At the minute, when Guardiola sits down of a, a weekend to write his, or you know, to kind of plan his team first, sheet, first, first name, name ahead, ahead yeah. of Edison, easy. Mm. Um, I'll tell you who's impressing me at the moment as well is Americ Laporte. Not just defensively, but what he's doing offensively. Crossfield balls. Oh my God. If you think about how nearly every goal at the week at the weekend started, it was from it was from the back, obviously, which we know about Pep. Um, but at one point, he like diagonal ball to Bernardo, who then played it forward, uh, and that's where the, the the goal came from. But the amount of times he was taking it up, sort of up to the halfway line, and Bournemouth were playing with two banks, somebody was drifting in his space, and it, Laporte was taken out about six Bournemouth players just with a, a ball to feet. From defence into attack, and straight away Bournemouth were opened up. He's yeah, he's incredible, and what he's doing for those. So if you think that we had those sort of six attacking players uh, from starting in the starting eleven, what he can do by being uh, you know by being a seventh uh, by, attacking yeah, player. by being a, a centre back, but like allowing those like Casey's talking about Sterling's movement, but we think about Bernardo's movement or Gundogan's movement or David Silva's movement. Um, and then Laporte can just find one of them, piercing ball through the middle, and then suddenly they're opened up. Well, I think that's one of the things that we take for granted with it as well, is like when you look at Sterling and Bernardo on the wings, they're both, you know, five foot nothing, and and yet Laporte can smash one at them, and there's just there's just no doubt in your mind that they're going to control it. That's how good they are. Yeah, and Bernardo he, in particular. Uh, I've never, uh, never uh, seen but, a man. But Bernardo's body is made of Velcro. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It's just incredible, like how... how the the it, it, like when you go back to that Spurs game when he somehow how he got done for that foul I'll never know. Shock. Yeah. Um I don't think I'll forget that for as long as I live. <laughs> um, but like who who does that? Like it, it's like that's uh, an older kid in a schoolyard taking the mick. Except he looked like the little kid taking the mick out of the dads. Yeah, it was mm. ridiculous. It's funny. Um, any concerns about? City's control of momentum in matches, and I say that because everything was under control. Free kick, wonderful free kick. Not a, not a lot you can do about no. it other than not give it away in the first place. Yeah. Um, but it's a wonderful free kick, and then it was about fifteen minutes of it felt like panic stations. I, I'm slightly uh, really? worried about. I'm slightly worried about the momentum a little bit when you when you like the amount of times and I did turn around to him, um, face tingling and everything, and said, <laughs> you know, during the Spurs game, like. Spurs are, Spurs are shit here. Like we should be killing them off completely. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a little bit. Do you know what? I think adversely, City might be better if they're playing a midweek game. I'm almost thinking that maybe the, we haven't got the momentum, we haven't got the ball rolling in the season as a whole yet because it's a game every weekend. Guardiola says three days, three days, yeah, three it's days. It's not yeah. really. It's not really fully gelling. Something else we've we've touched upon this already. Our only goal scorers in the league this year have been. Jesus, Sterling, and Aguero, isn't that right? So only those sort of front three players are scoring. But like, I reckon momentum will really start when when De Bruyne sort sort of like loses a little bit of ring rust, or you know when the Silvers start popping up with goals. Yeah. Like De, Bru- De Bruyne should have scored at least twice at the weekend. Aguero sure, yeah. shouldn't have scored the first one. Yeah, and he had another brilliant chance yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, so I think that that will help the momentum. Um, I think you're going to touch upon, but Rodri as well. I think. Well, I was going. To, I was going to come to this because I, I was shocked to see that Guardiola had started a, a game without Rodri or, or Fernandinho. And then when you looked at the lineup and thought Gundogan's probably not really doing what he was doing at the end of last season, it was a bit more gung ho. I mean, you talked earlier about you know, expecting Bournemouth to be sat back, and you can kind of understand why he did that. But again, Rodri came on, settled the nerves. 
Yeah, Rod Rodri looks a, a, like a real player already. Um, he's absolutely massive, which helps. Um, but he, he seems to have that that um, it, it's it's a really tough quality to define. But like Edison's got it, where there's absolutely nothing seems to phase them. Like he could have, he could have three players trying to tackle him on the goal line, and it it, it just seemed like he would try a Cruyff turn or something like that. It just it, pressure just doesn't seem to phase him, which is just it, it, it's almost bizarre at, at some points. Obviously, he's not played a major major game yet, um, and we've not he's not properly been tested but the way that the way that he has started has been very very promising he's got that kind of it's it's amazing it sort of solves the Gundogan Fernandinho conundrum and that he's got elements and traits that they both uh, have both. so he's got this beautiful elegance on the ball but also he's willing to be an ankle biter and a bit of a shithouse um, but then he's got something that neither of them have in his height and his dominance and the rhythm that he brought to to Saturday's game when he came on it it just completely changed everything. I wrote it down here. I spelled rhythm wrong. Um, <laughs> You're an English teacher. I know. How did you spell it? Or do you know why I'm really gutted about it? Because there's a way you remember how to spell rhythm. How do you spell? How do you do that? Rhythm has your two hips moving. A little mnemonic for you there. So uh, so yeah, what Rodri brought to the uh, what Rodri what Rodri brought to the table was just like um, something that we were really really lacking. I don't know though, in in hindsight or retrospect whether you would have started him because things were alright without him I think he just shored it up so nicely um, what I thought was nice especially him being a new signing was the juxtaposition to see what it was like before and what it was like after and what he brought whereas if he'd started from moment one you might not have been able to see that so so clearly and so visually you know um, but having said that I still think he's got some way to go to oust Fernandinho as the number one Obviously, it, it it does remain to be seen about, you know, how Fernandinho's legs are going to be this season. But if I had a big game right now, who am I picking? I'm picking Fernandinho. Fernandinho. Mm, yeah. As we've already mentioned on this week's show, David Silva's hit the 400 appearance mark for City. He's been a mark of quality for the club on and off the pitch and is the subject of one of Sam Lee's pieces for The Athletic this week after the game at Bournemouth. If you want the best coverage of City, then The Athletic, like the Blue Moon podcast obviously, is somewhere you can try. It's totally ad-free, there's no annoying pop-ups and there's a world-class team of writers. As we've already said, Sam Lee is doing their City coverage. He'll be on the podcast again soon. If you want to give it a go, then head over to theathletic.co UK forward slash blue moon and you'll get 50% off your yearly subscription at £2.50 a month and a 30-day free trial. Sam's got the inside track on Silver's 400 appearances and how it almost never happened with a move to Real Madrid almost going through while he was still at Valencia. But as Sam says, their loss was City's gain. He's also been writing about City getting youth players to the first team as Phil Foden has to patiently wait his time and some supporters call for more academy stars to be given their chance. Sam tries to work out who that should be, who they should replace and if it's even feasible if City want to continue to win trophies. So if that sort of stuff is your thing, then visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash blue moon to receive 50% off your yearly subscription and a 30-day free trial. Welcome to the new home of football writing. Well, the time's come. We're going to have to talk about VAR. Um, once again, City were in the VAR headlines. Three from three now. Um, why is it not a penalty? Um, I don't know. Like it's just, uh, it's absolutely mind-boggling. Um, um, the v- v- VAR is obviously what the reason why everyone wants it to be brought in 
or people who did want it to be brought in because I understand that uh, you know uh, a lot probably of people the, didn't, yeah. a lot of people didn't was to overturn clearly incorrect decisions. This sort of the high bar that they keep quoting, where it's like, oh, there needs to be an element of doubt. This isn't this isn't a courtroom. It baffles me why why neither of them were given, and and yet the, then, the thing is, I can on the Spurs one, I can kind of see why. With when I when I found out what the protocol was, yeah, we talked about what happened. But then on the protocol for for the for the Bournemouth one, the, yeah, there's, abso- there's, there's absolutely no, no, no way that the, the referee's gone. I've no, seen David Silver have his foot stood the, the, the reason the reason why I started my point out about what people expected of VAR before it was brought in and what it should have been brought in is because that protocol is bollocks. It's absolute. It's it's useless and a waste of time. That protocol goes against completely why people want VAR to be brought in. If a referee sort of half describes something, which I'm not being funny, if 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 I'm watching the telly and I'm not listening to my wife and she goes, "What did you just say?" and I, I can recount the last six things that she just said and I wasn't <laughs> listening to her. A referee can do that. No danger. Like it's it's absolutely absurd. Yeah. And. Uh, I, I, it absolutely boggles the mind that they're using it for really minuscule offside decisions, and 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 I know it seems like sour grapes because both of those those decisions went against us, the offside and the handball. But it's like no one in the world thinks that they should be disallowed. Yeah, it's it, it's just an absolute nonsense. And the biggest point that I, the biggest issue that I've got with it at the moment is it's purely there to protect referees. Yeah, referees are just covering their own backs. Referees would have a lot more respect if you just came out, held your hands up, and said, "Yeah, we got that one wrong. It's a new technology. We're learning." I think everyone would accept that. But this sort of you know this this sort of closed shop of we know better than you. You're thick. You'll eventually get it once you you understand. Don't patronise me. Doesn't help that's, anybody. That's the problem, isn't it? Because if we if we look at it, the amount of times we sat you know and talked about the officiating in this country, those people are now in charge of the, the technology and they're protecting each other. So we've got these sort of fuddy duddy luddite shysters in charge of <laughs> in charge of the tech. It's like. It's like me trying to teach my dad how to use his iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but like, what? So these are the people who, a bit like bouncers or a bit like, you know, those people in, in power, positions of power who would just never take no for an answer kind yeah. of thing. They are now protecting one another and they've got the sort of like key to the fortress of this technology where they're in a closed box somewhere, like miles and miles away reviewing things and then telling their mate that they agree with them it's like it's like they feel that they're in a position I where think it, I think how, it's interesting how, that there's not been a subjective call yeah. overturned yet well, yeah. well, how, 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 how can you learn from your mistakes if you're not willing to admit that you've made a mistake yeah. it's, it's, imp- it's, it's impossible the position that they've put for themselves is it, it's an absurd position yeah well I'm, uh, I'm going to get a little jingle made up for, for the VAR segment every week because I, I, I fear it's not going away <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so tune in next week for, for more VAR chat but for now we're going to move on there's plenty of talk around the young players at City especially after their involvement in the pre-season tour of the Far East I've been catching up with our EDS expert Sean Blinkhorn to get the latest on City's academy players there's kind of always a pre-season star isn't there if we, if we think back to Luke Bolton a couple of seasons ago there's always somebody who kind of catches the attention in pre-season for the first time and I think that might be more to do with people a lot of people might have never heard of these players and a lot more might have probably never actually seen them and then when they're involved on the senior stage it's, it's always quite a, oh this player's good isn't he and, and it seemed to have been Doyle and, and Harwood Bellis this, this season 
ourselves, we picked out Doyle and Howard Bellis towards the end of last season as, as one as really ones to watch. And the, this was kind of the first real first team involvement. And they, they really did show the quality. And everyone can see now what, what potential they do have. I'm pretty sure those players will be involved as, as we go forward. I'm not sure they'll both get the debuts this season. It would be great to see if they did. But they are still quite young. They're going into the second years as players. So I think it might be more of a waiting game on those two. In terms of, of City and transfer policy, uh, we saw this season they quite unexpectedly bought back uh, Angelino with his uh, with the buyback clause in there. Uh, you were singing the praises of the of the buyback uh, situation last season. Uh, it, it must kind of uh, have a bit of vindication for you there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, yes, but I didn't expect it to be this soon at all, and definitely not with Angelino. When Angelino left, he was an excellent technical. Left fat, left sided, left footed, left back, uh, with all the attacking attributes, but questions about his about him defensively. Potentially, still there still is because as we sit here right now recording this, he still hasn't featured. Uh, I think he was on the bench uh, recently, but he still hasn't actually featured. And I wonder whether those defensive doubts still remain. But it was just too worth it to bring him back for next to nothing, which is what we what we were, were saying last year about the buyback system. So, with Angelino, and to go back to that first show we did last year as well, the 17 plus 4 plus 4 squad system that I was talking about that we need to um, that we need to adhere to more, Angelino counts as our first club homegrown register spot in, in the four. Um, so you can see from, from many different angles, especially with the, the troubles we've had at left-back recently, you can see why this was, was worth it. I just don't know whether Pep decided whether he could see that the issues were still there in his game and he just decided that he could coach it into him and bring him back anyway. Um, so it remains to be seen how soon we'll see him, but it's good to see that the buyback system is, is alive and well. We've seen it with, with Douglas Louise over the summer, potentially, and uh, and some other players of that ilk that they're still going ahead with that, that system. Um, on on the, uh, the squad system as well, you can see Scott Carson was brought in on loan um, just to fill that final... Uh, nation train spot is the the first player City have loaned in since. That's a question for you. Can you? Goodness me! You can't throw me. You can't throw me under uh, the bus with that. No, you love um, a quiz, David. So, um, David Pizarro. Pizarro, two thousand and eight, was he? Uh, no, uh, Mancini, twenty eleven, twelve title winning right. year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking Martin Fulop, but that was about in two thousand and ten, wasn't it? If any, if any listeners know, get in touch. <laughs> get in touch yeah. yeah, but you could be right on that one, yeah. So you can see why it's so important to to hit that, that, that quota, let's say, and that's what they've done with Carson this year and also with Angelino as well. In terms of the money spent as well, it's it, there's been some money spent on the, on the academy players this summer. We've seen one or two players you think of Morgan Rogers brought in he, he was brought in for quite a, quite a hefty fee um, he's, in a, he's going into his second year along with like, Tommy Doyle and what have you the the first year scholars I think will have to take an entire entire day to go through an entire section because there's just an unprecedented spend on, on well for 16 year olds for, you know, for school boys really uh, we'll, we'll go into that another time but we haven't we haven't lost anybody for for a change, we haven't lost any real prospects. You know, no one's come in and sniped uh, somebody that we thought would ma- would make it in the future. So that's that's a that's a big positive. Um, on top of 
the usual that they're going out and spending as much as possible to bring in the top talents which is always positive isn't it and uh, just finally for this week, um, I mean, it's it's the first time we've caught up for this season, so neck on the line time. Who's who, who's you wants to watch for the year? <laughs> well, I, I wanted to pick out two, really, in particular. Um, Adrian Bernab, he, he's been training with the first team for a while and he did make his debut last year. There's, with players, it's hard, with the younger players, it's hard to see so much of them so you know how they're going to settle into senior football for me because reserve football is about as useful as pre-season friendlies for, for telling how they're going to make it in the game as far as I'm concerned you get a lot of indication especially with Pep I think with how close they keep the players and and how much training time they get and, and those sort of things and I think Adrian he's one who's always seems to be in and around the picture when I watch him, he always seems to be able to make things happen. He has that extra bite. You know, he's got all the technical ability in the world, and we all know Pep loves a technical left footer. Um, but he does also seem to make things happen as well. So he's one that I'd pick out to maybe get a few starts here and there. Um, not sure, maybe some sub appearances, but I think he will play a bit more. In terms of fresh first team debuts, away from the the younger younger kids because they don't they don't seem to do that as much uh, but there's a potential for Tommy Doyle and Taylor and Howard Bellis Taylor Howard Bellis could be pushing Eric Garcia you know so Garcia might not even might not have to look ahead of him to get into the team he might look at, have to look behind him as well um, but yeah so aside from all that I'd probably pick out Jeremy Frimpong I was watching him for a, a really poor reserve side the other week and he stood out an absolute mile above the rest. His entire teammates, everybody who came on as a sub, and he's—I uh, think he's into his third year now. Um, just, just to watch him, he's kind of—he's kind of, he's kind of a, a kind of like a Pablo Zabaleta with pace. To me, he's—he's he's short, fast, tenacious. He's really strong in the tackle. You know, he's got that tenacity where he'll keep fighting for the ball, and also. Uh, exceptional dribbling ability on the ball he looks fantastic and he can really he can change ends he can take the ball from one end to the other in seconds um i'm not sure about his crossing that's be the only aspect that i'm not too sure about but if you look at maybe cal walker who also can't cross a ball i think there's potential for jeremy frimpong to get some real minutes this season and to make his first team debut for a pledge of two dollars a month you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics there's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Sean Blinkhorn there talking to us about City's EDS. It's now time to look ahead to the game with Brighton on Saturday. Uh, and to do that, we're joined by Aidy Packham from Albion Raw. Uh, Aidy, just just to, to, to start with, um, I mean, looking at, at Brighton and how they're doing this season, what what my main question is, who who on earth is Graham Potter and what's he been doing with uh, with Brighton and Hove Albion this season? Because, you know, with the best will in the world, you know, it, it just seemed like the, the, the most left-field appointment. Um, I don't think it was. I think it was, um, if, if you look at our chairman and what he does for a living and how he's made his money, it wasn't really that much of a surprise, really. I mean... Um, I think the big surprise was no one no one was expecting Chris Hewton to be sacked. Um, but then if you look at our form second half of last season, where admittedly we got to the FA Cup semi-final, which was massive for us, but then the league form just completely fell off a cliff. He'd invested a lot of money with some very expensive players that 
weren't used to their strengths. So what's, um, what's changed then for this season? What's, uh, what's happening there? Well, basically, Potter's come in. Um, he, you know, his CV is pretty impressive. Um, you know, what he did with Ostersons um, was, was wonderful. Um, the, what he did with Swansea last year on, on, a, on a shoestring budget to almost get them into the, um, into the playoffs and very nearly beat you lot, actually. But what Potter's done, he, he's looked at what, what uh, that's available to him. He's looked at the players. I mean, we were saying last season, looking at the personnel that were available to Chris last year, that maybe 3-5-2, um, 3-4-3 possibly could have been the way forward. Um, Graham's come in, he's seen that, seen what the personnel is. And that's the way that we've started the season. Last season, he's been known to have a plan A, B, C, D and E. It's uh, KC here. Do you think Hewton last season was a bit reluctant to use the new signings from, from last summer? From a Brian point of view, Chris is um, a hero. He's a, a, a very pragmatic man. He's, he's a, a man we've got an awful lot of time for, possibly the best manager we've had in our history in terms of what he's achieved with us. But wherever he's been, he's always been very safety first. He, his argument would be last year that his uh, remit would be keep us up. And he did that. But it was not pretty. And, you know, we, we've got players that were there waiting that, you know, have got good figures. I mean, we didn't really see, we didn't really see him used to the best of their abilities necessarily. So, yeah, no, I, mean, I think he might have paid the price for that a little bit. Kieran, it was. It, we talked a little bit there about you know the FA Cup last season. There were that was a very tight game at Wembley. You know there, there was the scare that City had on the on the final day. It was you know a tight. It was actually a tight game at the Etihad last season as well. You, you get the sense that actually this isn't going to be an easy game for City on Saturday. No, yeah, I was at that game at Wembley. It was it was really fraught. Uh, Gabriel Jesus scored very early on, and then essentially Two minutes, yeah, yeah, essentially nothing really happened for uh, <laughs> for eighty eight minutes. Um, but Brighton kept... We nearly equalised. Yeah, actually. yeah. Brighton, Glenn, Murray, Bra- Glenn Murray should have scored, mm. but um, yeah. No, you kept it but, tight, uh, and uh, and really, I think at times on the Wembley pitch, you uh, you were equal to City, um, and the scare on the yeah, last day. I mean, goodness me, I was all right in that game. I mean, it, it, it was it was a little bit Bambi on ice at times, but mm. um, but the the problem was in that game, and um, this is. Uh, one of the things we're, we're we're seeing this season as well was like we had Anthony taking the trying to take the game to you, mm. but the you know the supermarkets the, the supermarket trolleys that stop when they go over the red line where the wheels go over the red line. Yeah, that that was our midfield. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was like you know orders are you must not go past this point, mm. and you know we, we we were getting forward into. Um, uh, oppressive positions um, but there was no one to give the ball to and then we end up running down blind alleys and it was happening time and time again not just in in that game at Wembley but a lot last season mm. so this this season we're actually starting to see that um, the Davy proper that plays for Holland Daryl Stevens has been a revelation we've got Aaron Moy who obviously was with you for a bit obviously we've still got old father time himself Glenn Murray still playing and he's still going to be first choice by the looks of it but he's got a supporting cast now alongside him that if he's playing, if he's holding the ball up, then there's someone for him to give it to rather than like having him and then 20 yards of space and then the, the next Brighton player. Yeah. Uh, so, Eddie, you mentioned that uh, Hewton's kind of remit was to keep Brighton up last season, as it were. Yeah. Um, 
what do you think the ambition is under Potter now? Has that changed? I don't think it has. I think I think the, the bottom line is like Graham said. Look, I know it's a results business, but we want we want to do it in, in a better style. Now, I think that in certain games we will we we will revert to type and we will try and be more defensively. But Graham Potter's way of looking at the game is more rather than going into a game trying not to lose it. He's going into a game trying to win it is that is that something um, he'll do on saturday though i mean ad because it's i mean with with the with the differences between where city are and and where brighton have been in in the last couple of years (laughs) could that that, that, that's probably going to be a dangerous strategy yeah but a small club like crystal palace came up to you last year and won that's true um and and, you know, look where, look where, I mean, they were very lucky to stay up. They're going to be struggling again this year. They just won't go away, will they? Um, <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, but I mean, everyone is expecting us to go up there and be lambs to a slaughter. I don't think we will be. I think we will be resolute. I think we will possibly be more safety first than we have been in the opening three games. But I think with the likes of, um, Leandro Trossard, who's just um, signed this season, who um, we're describing as similar to Anthony Knockart, but better and with a brain, he could possibly take the game to you and possibly hurt you in, 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 in if we get an opportunity. Glenn, if he gets a sniff, will always, tr- nine times out of ten, will take it. Um, we know we're going to be limited to maybe one or two chances in the game. Um, it's just a case of how good our defence is. We've got like uh, the Gestalt entity that is Duncan Duffy um, still there. We've got um, Big Dan Byrne, who is that is that is his full name apparently. We know we know we're going into this as underdogs. We know that we're everyone's expecting possibly a big city win. I would like to see a more positive Brighton performance, but I think we will certainly be shackled a little bit. Here and the the other the other side of things as well. City have won all their meetings since uh, Brighton's return to the Premier League. It, it just feels like this one. It, it, you, everyone's expecting a City win, but it might not be that easy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Um, I find that Pep is really good at kind of working out managers who he's come up against as adversaries in the past. But he's Graham Potter's a fairly new entity to the league, so knowing how he's going to work things. Under you know, you did, you did play against you did play Swansea against last season, season. Yeah. Oh Swansea. yeah, and well, that gave us a that gave us a run, didn't it? A real a real scare in the cup. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, despite what my uh, score prediction looks like, uh, <laughs> I, I really don't think it's going to be a straightforward a straightforward I, game. I, for I, 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 I still have nightmares about that penalty shootout about ten years ago as well down down at Brighton. Michael Ball. Yeah, yeah thanks for that one, Michael. Yeah. yeah, I think it was probably the first or second game under the under the uh, the new uh, and store ownership. It was really um, early on. Yeah, we won the penalty shootout. There was a pitch invasion, which was led by a man in the mobility scooter. That's how cool it was. was (laughs) Genius. Right, well, it's another week, another time we're on. uh, We were one goal away from our first win on the charity bet this season. We're raising money for the Christia Cancer Hospital in Manchester with William Hill. They're giving each of the team a £10 correct score single. It's Brighton at the Etihad on Sunday. Who's having what? Uh, AD, I'm going to start with you. What's uh, what's your score prediction? Um, Despite my... uh positivity uh i'm gonna go 2-0 city uh, 2-0 <laughs> city is uh, 11 to 2 so uh, 55 quid if you're right kc what are you having uh 5-1 
Five one. Uh, we'll get to why you've not had your six one in a minute. Casey's uh, tradition, aid is that he always predicts six one after the Old Trafford derby a few years ago. Uh, that's eighteen to one five one. Casey. So if you're right, one hundred and eighty quid. Uh, Kieran, what are you having? I'm having six one. That's why he's not having uh, the six one. Uh, do, you, do you want to tell us why? Yeah, two reasons. Um, no disrespect to you, Eddie, or your uh, wonderful football team, and no scientific uh, or tactical preconceptions. Uh, we're not going to the game this weekend because we're going to our very good friend Bob Tool's wedding. And last year when I was at a wedding, I missed a Huddersfield game last August and they uh, and said he won six one. So that's why I've gone for it. Also You know you do realise that never actually works, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, listen to this man. He's got a better reason. Get on to this. Yeah. I was on the bus yesterday in town and a seagull flew into the window. <laughs> <laughs> so if that's I'm not a symbol that we're gonna thwack right. you, I don't know what is. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, in all of this, the message is congratulations to Bob Tool. It's uh, it'd be a great day. Um, but Kieran, if you're right, if we're at the wedding and City win six one, uh, it'll be thirty three to one and three hundred and thirty pounds. I cannot think of a better way to celebrate a, 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 one of our best mates' weddings if you if you're right on that. Drinks on me. So uh, you got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more information about responsible gambling, head over to begambleaware.org. Aidy, thank you very much for being part of the show today. You're very welcome, mate. So now time to look ahead. This is Howard Hawking. He's talking about video technology. Shortly after Manchester City had secured a 3-1 win at Bournemouth on Sunday, I was once more engrossed in front of my TV as a sporting drama unfolded before me. I might even suggest I was more engrossed than earlier in the afternoon. Yes, Ben Stokes was securing his Sports Personality of the Year award at Headingley in astonishing circumstances. But there was something that happened close to the end of the game that reminded me of the football that had preceded it, and needless to say it involved video reviews. But don't worry, I do not intend to talk about VAR for eight minutes. Four at the most. Maybe six. You see, England needed two runs to win the third test. Ben Stokes was at the crease. A ball came down from Lyon and smacks him on his pad. The Aussies screamed for Stokes to be given out LBW, leg before wicket. This would mean victory not only in this match, but the Ashes retained. The umpire, Joel Wilson, shook his head, not out. And whilst the LBW claims looked very strong, the umpire could not bring himself to committing to giving it out in real time. What fascinated me after the dust had settled on an extraordinary match, one of the greatest ever, was that the umpire had a get-out clause. England, you see, had a review left, and they would obviously have used it if he had raised his finger. So really, he should have given it out and let technology make the right decision. Maybe that's naive of me to expect the umpire to make a decision on the basis of reviews left. A professional should never do that. But still, you wonder how much the occasion affected his call. The umpires have not had a good series in the Ashes, though Wilson had performed much better at Headingley. But whatever went through his head, no finger was lifted. Perhaps he was caught up in the moment. Perhaps he wanted to be part of a bigger story, part of history. Perhaps he generally didn't think it was LBW. After all, some have questioned the accuracy of the Hawkeye technology that then showed the ball would have hit the wicket. But really, the Australian team only had themselves to blame, having waited their own review the over before. But why mention this on the football podcast, I hear you ask, wearily? Because I found it intriguing that having technology and reviews as backup did not influence a cricket umpire in this crucial moment. 
Wilson could have abdicated responsibility in one of the key moments of the year in the sport. He didn't. And I mentioned him because I thought video technology would change the way football games were refereed. And yet all we are seeing instead is a confusing mess and different things to get annoyed about. The question is, will it, in the longer term, their decision making, referees that is, alter now that they supposedly have backup? The inaction over penalty VAR checks reminds me too of that cricket's umpire call rule. Cricket can suffer from a similar situation whereby a replay can show the ball going on to hit the wicket but not out is given as a call as the umpire did not originally call it out and it was not an obvious error, the wicket only just being hit. And yet from what little I know it seems that those involved in the sport of cricket have accepted this without any concern. This is because it is there for a different reason. It's there because the technology is being used to track a ball that never made the journey. It is estimating where a ball would have gone after it has thudded into a cricket player. So there is a margin of doubt. Football doesn't have this, though judging by the arguments on many Twitter feeds over penalty decisions, you may disagree. The fact is that fouls on David Silva and Aspilicueta last weekend, amongst others, were not just penalties, they were clearly penalties. There is no element of doubt, we can see what happened. And yet not clear and obvious under the high bar reference being used by referees, so it's kind of like an umpire's call, despite the obvious being shown to all and sundry on a big screen. Technology is used in cricket to get the right decision, but in football there is a desire not to re-referee the game, making the whole system a waste of time outside offsides, especially as the English game is being VAR'd with more caution than in other leagues. And where VAR has surprised me, I'm sorry I'm still talking about it, apart from how utterly flawed it is, is the lack of referees changing their way of refereeing in the VAR world. Maybe in time they will, but so far it has not happened. Because what I expected was for penalties to be handed out for fun. I thought referees would use the technology at hand to give penalties before referring to technology to check their decision. But whilst there have been plenty of penalties given so far this season, it seems little has changed. Some are spotted, some are missed. And VAR falls down for me by always trying to back up the referee, as already alluded to. If a penalty had been given for a foot stamp on David Silva, VAR would have backed the referee decision and the penalty would have been taken. As it was not given, VAR backed that decision instead. So the same incident and two different outcomes after a video referee looks at that same incident. How can that be a sensible use of technology? And how did they expect us as fans to accept that? But anyway, I was wrong about the penalties. Instead, I think referees will err on the side of caution with penalty area decisions and allow VAR to intervene if a clear and obvious error has been made. With VAR only looking for obvious errors, I think many fouls in penalty areas will not be punished. And we know that linesmen are already being told to keep their flag down for marginal decisions. Though yet again, that was a rule that didn't seem to come into play when Sterling was marginally offside, if at all, in the last match at Bournemouth. It seems that those that are not blatant enough that a replay demands action will see little action taken on the pitch. It's easier to let a possible foul slide than call it and have your decision replayed at home and in the stadium. Not that those in the stadium generally have a clue what's going on either. So elsewhere will referees generally alter how they referee the game at Premier League level, knowing that there are three people sat in a booth near Heathrow Airport monitoring everything they do and feeding back information throughout? We will find out in time. Referees referee with intuition most of the time, gained through years of practice. Now they are becoming more technical and automated because of the change in technology. 
After all, referees are thought to make about 245 decisions per game. Only 2% are said to be wrong, though that's rather subjective. If that figure was correct, there's little need for VAR, as it would be rare that one of those incorrect decisions, one of the five on average made in a Premier League game, would have a huge bearing on the result. But it could still change a club's history. Bolton Wanderers have been taken over as I speak and are saved from liquidation for now. But it perhaps should never have come to this, not because of the actions of their chairman, but because in 2012 Bolton were robbed at Stoke City when drawing 2 all when they needed to win, after an appalling refereeing performance from Chris Foy. Both the Stoke goals that were conceded were controversial, the first because Walters knocked the ball out of Adam Bogdan's hands and into the net, and the second as Crouch appeared to go down very easily under a challenge from the Bolton keeper in follow-up to his own saved shot. As a result, Bolton went down and may never return to the top flight. The team that was saved instead were a certain QPR, who were playing at the Etihad that particular day. You may remember it, and you may know that the Bolton game finished first and QPR knew they were safe with the score at 2 all. How history can change on the slimmest margins. But with VAR, would Stokes' goals have stood anyway because of a reluctance to overrule Chris Foy's original decisions? We'll never know. But please, if we're going to use technology, then damn well use it and be consistent. Because who knows what sliding door moments lie ahead. Where one bad use of technology could lose you the ashes, or one bad refereeing decision can lead to a decline that almost ends your club forever. Hi there, this is Joe Royal speaking. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast carry on doing so check out exclusive city interviews on our website bluemoonpodcast.com Howard Hawking there now uh, just before we move on to ask the panel this week's seen the Champions League draw again City have drawn uh, from pot two it was Shakhtar Donetsk again uh, then uh, new teams in Dinamo Zagreb and Atalanta uh, so what's I mean in terms of a, of a group what's uh, what's the reaction to that uh, I'm sick of looking at Shakhtar to be honest with you Um but two, two new teams, though. Yeah, yeah, that 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 is that is a positive. Yeah, um, I think you know, I think we'd be lying if we said we knew much about either of them. Really, um, one's from Croatia, one's from America. <laughs> <laughs> Georgia, jo- Georgia, I believe, yeah. yeah, and they held the nineteen ninety six Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Donald Glover wrote a great, great, I great think, sitcom about them. I <laughs> think we might have got the wrong Atalanta there, but you know. Atalanta in Italy, obviously they were. Um, they, I think they've been pushing for four for like the past three seasons. They got third last season, their yeah. first time in the group stage. Yeah, um, and I think they've been knocking at the door because they've been doing it on quite a decent budget. Um, and I think last year they weren't expected to do as well as they did because they sold uh, Frank Kessie to AC Milan, but they ended up having a better season. But I couldn't tell you one player who plays for them now. <laughs> um, the game's going to be at the San Siro. The away game, yeah, because the ground's not up to to scratch, so um, so it's going to be in Milan. Um, their manager's very well thought of uh, around Europe, apparently, um, and that's more than I know about Dynamo Zagreb. Yeah, they're from Croatia. Um, <laughs> did Modric play for them about fifteen years ago? Mm, I think so. Yeah. You've no idea. You just said you, you like you didn't even have the confidence to go. Yes, yes, he did, knowing full well that you had no idea whatsoever. What what do we know about Shakhtar? I mean, we've we, we played we've played them what three seasons running now. Yeah, be, this will be the third season. I still could tell you barely anything about. Mm. Fernandinho used to play for them. He did. He did. Yeah. 
They're all and orange. And orange no, kids. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, good knowledge. Right, well, I hope we, hope we get some better knowledge in Ask the Panel, um, because it's that time now. Uh, tweet us at Blue Moon Podcast for next week, or you can email uh, via the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Search for us on Instagram as well. Uh, we're, uh, we're on there as well. You can send us a question through there. Uh, in a change to the usual format, uh, I, I'm posing the question this week, because it's come off uh, something that I tweeted earlier in the week. Um, basically, I want to know, why do I feel guilty watching and enjoying City spending hundreds of millions of pounds every few summers, when at the same time clubs like Berry have gone out of business, Bolton looked like they were going the same way until they got an 11th hour uh, saviour. So why why do I feel guilty about enjoying what City are doing while this is happening on my doorstep? I, th- I think it, I think it's... Uh, th- there are many different reasons why. I think uh, one of which is that we, we've been close to the door a couple of times ourselves, um, and not least of which was just before the takeover under taxing uh, with you know John Wardle pouring his own personal money in, even though at that point he... He know, wasn't, he, he wasn't he, the he owner. Was, he wasn't the owner right, of the club. Well, yeah. And um, also geographical location has a lot to do with it. Um, you know the fact that they are on our doorstep. Um, I think we all we you know we, if we don't have friends that are Bolton or Berry fans, we certainly know or have come across Bolton and Berry fans. And um, I think as well because we were down there not that long ago. You know, same same division. You know, Bolton were two divisions above us at one point. Yeah. Um, I, I, no, no one wants to see that happen because I think, um, I I know what it'd mean to me if if City went under, and I think if you if you see that happening to another a fan of another team, then you, you know you can we have empathy, you know you we are human, with it, yeah, yeah. And I just I just think I think it's awful. I think some of the opinions that have come out about it are absolute nonsense um you know in terms of what city were expected to do all this that and the other well um, then this is the thing i'm not i'm not suggesting city I, I should have bailed so. them out yeah mm. I, i'm 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 not, and and we we did help them out you know in a, in a small way with the training ground or whatever um and i i don't think city, you know it, it's not that but it is just such a shame um especially like that that Steve Dale bloke at Berry, like I, I know that I know the owner before that was absolutely awful that put them in that position in the first place. But to have an a- asset stripper be able to take over a club like that, um, it's just it, it, it's disgusting. And um, I think uh, vulture capitalists like that that just sort of um, take glee in ripping the pride and soul out of a community is just absolutely disgusting. And for people to do, you know, to act in that way, in that behaviour, and then talk about the fans as if they're a disgrace mm-hmm. is just is just appalling. I think he's just an abhorrent human. Kieran, am I am I, am I overthinking it then? Feeling guilty? It's a funny because one. I, because like I say, I watched City spend a couple of hundred million over the last couple of years. Yeah. And like, what what did Barry go out of business for? Was it three million, four million? Yeah, you feel you feel really helpless. It's one of those, isn't it? When if your friend has a breakup or a bereavement or is going through a hard time, it's you feel sympathy and you can empathise if you've been there too. But there's absolutely nothing you can do because what's going on in your life at the time is is fine. You know, if things are going well for you, so it's really hard to kind of put yourself in those. And it's shoes. not your fault, either. yeah, yeah, for sure. So like you can you can reach out and you can try and help and you can say the right things and you can go, oh, I'm, I'm really gutted about this. Um, and, and and that comes from that place of guilt, and I think Casey's I think Casey's spot on. You know, it's because it's geographically so close, and because we were at death's door at a time ourselves almost. Um, also, I think a, a part of feeling guilty is because we've locked out. Now, please, I'm I'm going to put a caveat in here that we all know about our owners. Um, 
that they're, they're no angels, let's say. But in terms of the ownership of our club, what they have done and what they have put into us, you know, we've won the lottery. And like we've seen, we've seen things now in the past few years that we thought we would never, ever, ever see. And we've gone like we've absolutely broke through that glass ceiling, whereas Bury are are at the complete they are the complete antithesis now because they're effectively gone. Um, so I, I don't feel that it's with that it's on us to feel guilt about it because, you know, for whatever reason, when we first started Sporting City and it was in our blood and we, you know, and we've been through those journeys. Um, I don't think I don't think we should feel guilty because we were there, but certainly there's an empathy with the Bury fans. One final thing to throw in before we before we finish the show on a on a completely different zone. City drawn uh, away to Preston in the League Cup. Um, nice nice draw for for that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, they're sixth in the Championship and they're looking all right. Um, but. <sighs> Yeah, it's a nice draw. My, a, my university town. Last time we played Preston, I was at university. Oh. Yeah, that was, was that 2007? 2007, yeah. yeah. 2007. Michael Ball with a world, world-class world yeah. finish. Ireland scored a decent one in that game. Um, we've got a relatively good record against them, but obviously just not a, not a recent one. Yeah, not, yeah, absolutely nothing you can take from it. So uh, Anyone but Wigan. Anyone but Wigan. Anyone that's, but Wigan. That, that, they should put that on the badge. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Well, that's it for this week's Blue Moon Podcast. So special thanks to my guests today, Kieran Murray. Blue. And KC. Safe. And if you want to hear us chat for another 15 minutes or so about our love for Sean Wright Phillips after he announced his retirement this week, then you're in luck because that's our topic for the Patreon bonus show. That's available for everyone who backs $2 per month. Details are over on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. You can also join us as a guest on that bonus show by becoming a $10 a month backer. Again, all the details are on the website, so go and check that out, patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. Take care. the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast